Hello, listeners, and thanks for coming back for a chat. I'm your host, Barry Corollis, and you're listening to Pod to Chat, Talking Dance, where I candidly share my 13 plus years of experience and my thoughts and analysis on all things dance. Today, I'm broadcasting to you from Los Angeles. Uh, I've been working as a freelance choreographer, dancer, and instructor for nearly five years now uh, since leaving Pacific Northwest Ballet. So I'm happy to bring this podcast to you from all over all over the world as I travel to spread the word about my favorite form of art, dance. In this episode of Pod to Chat, I want to talk about something that is rarely discussed. Every successful dancer has endured grueling physical training in order to perfect their technique. In order to gain strength, flexibility, line, and virtuosity. But one aspect of training that is often forgotten, ignored, left out, uh, is the need for emotional training in the dance world. Especially with so many teenagers and young adults becoming highly skilled professionals uh, and put on the job at such a young age. Um, looking at stories of brilliant young dancers burning out like Sergei Polonin uh, from the Royal Ballet and Alexandra Ancinelli from New York City Ballet and others um, has inspired me to talk about this uh, not so talked about subject. The world of dance and beyond idolizes a story of failure and adversity that opens up unknown doors, eventually leading to hard-won success. (laughs) Who doesn't love a good cinematic happy ending? But unfortunately for students in training and professionals with big goals, things don't always turn out that way. For this reason, there are many former and current dancers living jaded uh, in emotional pain and regret and without closure from the wounds that often go along with such a challenging, strenuous, and personal effort. A couple years ago, when I was uh, out in Los Angeles, uh, again, where I am right now, um, I found myself having a conversation uh, consoling a former dancer about her training years. I was staying with one of my closest friends, and uh, this woman just happened to be subletting her brother's room. Uh, He works with FX, so he was in New York working on a a TV series at the time. Um, And that room opened up, and my friend uh, trained with this this dancer. Um, And her name is Valeska Mosich-Miller, and... uh, We knew each other from the time that she had danced at Pacific Northwest Ballet School, but being in the company, uh, I didn't really interact with her much because uh, there there was definitely a a line of uh, between the the company and the school. Um, Although we had very little interaction during that time, I I definitely remembered her. Uh, And the reason for that was uh, because she was just stunningly gorgeous and she was beautiful and had a tall stature um often many dancers in the company would comment that she should stop dancing find an agent and just become a model uh and apparently we weren't the only ones that felt that way Aleska left pnb school to train elsewhere for a short period of time after uh 
And she had a, a handful of unsuccessful auditions. She stopped searching for a company to call home because she started getting picked up by multiple modeling agencies everywhere from Brazil to South Africa, London, and Los Angeles. While spending that week at my friend's apartment, living with Valeska and catching up on where our where we were in our lives, we went out to dinner and had a, a really striking conversation, uh, one that I didn't expect. <laughs> While Valeska has had great successes that most people could only dream of having, she was still struggling with the loss of her ballet career and her perception of wasted effort that was put into so many years of training. I could tell that nearly five years of time away from ballet had not healed the emotional trauma and the wounds of rejection that the ballet world can place upon dancers. Being that I'm very interested in teaching future generations of dance artists, I, I've put a lot of thought into the what's and why's of a ballet career and how training really affects the mind of a young dancer. And what, what I've determined is that ballet training is essentially survival of the fittest at this point. <clears throat> Classical ballet instruction is extremely harsh on the body. Aside from physical requirements of natural flexibility, accurate proportions, strength, and aesthetic, a dancer needs emotional fortitude to truly make it in this very, very difficult career. How is a dancer going to cope with casting that isn't in their favor? Will the dancer be able to continue with the performance after receiving bad news? What does a dancer do if they mess up on stage? Each one of these items can really challenge a dancer's ability to handle the stresses of a dance career. The physical demands of training will prepare one to execute the most difficult of feats with ease. And while the emotional aspects of training ensure that a dancer doesn't fall apart in high-stress situations... Unfortunately, the concept of emotional training is rarely revealed to students throughout their studies. Perhaps because teachers aren't even aware that they're, they're teaching it. Very few of my teachers really explain much about the emotional challenges of dancing other than saying, ballet is hard, people get injured, or you don't want to be stuck holding a rose or a garland in the last line of the core for the rest of your life. Uh, that was until I, I started training under Jacques Soto, uh, who is a former teacher at the School of American Ballet in New York City, which is the feeder school to New York City Ballet. Um, one day, I particularly remember, Jacques had he stopped class after a student was having a mini breakdown over the failed execution of a partnering combination. While trying to calm the student down and keep their head in the game, he stated... Your grandfather just passed away, and you got a phone call minutes before you stepped on stage to premiere the lead in Theme of Variations, which is a very famous Balanchine ballet. That gray-haired lady seated in the orchestra paid $200 for her ticket and has no idea about anything going on in your life. No matter what happens, you must always perform to, to the best of your abilities, because all of the audience... I'm, all, all the audience knows is that they paid a lot of money to see a good show. This comment seemed utterly heartless, having never heard anything like it before. I was 18 at the time. And I, I remember many conversations after class where we all tried to validate that what he had been saying was just downright heartless. But today, I can now tell you from experience, I've watched this exact story happen. I've experienced traumas and performed 
on stage while reeling through some type of emotional life experience. It's a part of, a, of the job, and our training helps us deal with this. Now, if only as teenagers and young adults, we knew that a handful of the comments and experiences we have on the road to success are a part of the training and not always the teacher or directors just playing mind games or being insensitive. It is very common for students who never become professionals and for professionals who never become principal dancers to focus their anger and bitterness towards the last organization or to that they feel let them down uh, or kept them from achieving their dreams. I don't think this is avoidable and sometimes I agree with these dancers' feelings. But unfortunately, these dancers got weeded out by ballet's survival of the fittest style of training. If your body is too weak, it will break down sometimes often. If your body doesn't fit the aesthetic and dancers go to dangerous lengths to fit the mold, they will not make it through the training. I am always asked about anorexic and bulimic dancers, as is every professional in our field. I typically respond that there were some sick dancers while I was training, but for the most part, the career is too challenging to maintain that type of lifestyle, and those dancers with eating problems fall apart before they finish their training or within a year or two of obtaining a job. If a dancer's technique isn't strong enough and they audition for years and years and eventually give up, they have been weeded out. If a dancer had everything going for them and obtains a job, but quits a year or two in because they didn't have a fairy tale rise to the top, again, they've been weeded out. There's so many challenges that ballet presents to dancers that make sure that the last dancers standing are those on stage and selling tickets. It's rare to find a teacher or director that is so especially harsh that they seek to destroy a dancer's love for ballet. There are exceptions to the rule, but it isn't really that common. Most leaders want a dancer to succeed at what they're doing. The misinterpretation of emotional training is often the downfall of many potential dance careers. When one is involved in a school or institution, that one place becomes the dancer's entire world. <laughs> My favorite example of this takes place at the dance academy where I was raised. Every year when Nutcracker casting is posted, Parents call the director shouting, why didn't my daughter get the role of Clara? Which is, if you haven't seen the Nutcracker, uh, it's the main child role uh, that drives the story. Um, in a fair-sized school in the suburbs of Philadelphia, like clockwork, parents freak out because their child wasn't handed a role just for showing up and just because the parent paid tuition. Within days, studio gossip ensues, and one small performance becomes a big ordeal, as if it is the make-it-or-break-it moment of their child's life. People forget that somebody is always going to be at the top, and somebody is always going to be at the bottom. It's like this in school, and it's like this in a company. It can become, it, it can become difficult to remember that there are hundreds of schools and companies across the country, and if a dancer is truly unhappy, they can always look elsewhere for an improved situation. Rejection and disappointment tend to be one of ballet's first emotional lessons. If a dancer is truly talented and being overlooked, it may be time to try somewhere new or to understand that sometimes you are the best and sometimes you're the worst. And sometimes it's all a matter of needs and timing. Dancers often forget, like my friend Valeska did, that ballet is based purely on opinion. 
Casting decisions and class placement often upset people because there is no formal basis to judge technique, artistry, and a performance. For instance, if you work in a call center and you make the most calls, you're going to be the top performer, but it's not the case. It's not that case in the, the dance world. Maybe a director put a dancer on stage for a specific role because they thought big eyes would look good in that role for maybe somebody performing as a doll. Perhaps she doesn't have the best technique, but she is intriguing to look at, and intrigue sells more tickets than technique. And if the same group of dancers travel from state to state, school to school, or company to company whilst performing the same work, different opinions and choices may put completely different dancers on stage at each institution. There is no best dancer, period. There is, instead, I prefer this dancer. What it comes down to is that ballet is often full of political opinion. The end goal of an institution is to put productions on stage as best they can and to please its patrons and donors. Dancers are just pieces of a puzzle that need to be fit together. If a dancer doesn't fit in a certain part of the puzzle, then they don't fit. A company can't be so concerned about hurting a dancer's feelings that the quality of a production becomes a secondary priority. While dancers' feelings may get hurt, it is rarely personal. Ballet doesn't remember that dancers are humans are human beings with emotions. But people do, and those people should. For this reason, it is the human side or artistic staff of an organization that is responsible ensuring that there is still a, there is still humane treatment towards a dancer who may be disappointed about casting or has been left out of a performance during their integral final years of training or throughout their career. This is often where emotional training fails. Instead of having a hard, potentially disappointing conversation, many company and school directors prefer to keep quiet about their reasoning. This leaves dancers to make assumptions that may be far from the truth. Maybe staff feels that they don't owe the dancer an explanation for putting them in the second cast of the core after giving them a leading role in the last production or when they've been dancing with the company for five to ten years. Or perhaps that core member isn't being cast well to test and see if they can handle performing less, which often occurs during the first years after promotion within a company. Why can't a dancer just be told that they are being tested instead of creating circumstances and sitting back to watch their reaction? Directors owe the human being, not the dancer, a reason for casting disappointments, frustrating circumstances, and mixed signals. A great amount of emotional training happens every day in dance. I have found, more often than not, that the higher powers of dance organizations don't even realize that they are taking part in this important aspect of training. Since ballet is passed on by oral tradition, there is no textbook on the exact way to train a dancer. My teachers taught me what their teachers taught them, and so on, and so on, and so on. Every generation tries to take the best part of their training and pass it on, while attempting to avoid passing on the worst parts of their own training. But sometimes the harshest parts of their training were to make sure that they could survive in our stressful profession. Unfortunately, there are often better ways to go about things, and those with power aren't always aware that they are doing more than just training the physicality of a dancer. If students are more aware of the emotional tests that they will be put through, they may have greater lasting power. It is really confusing for a teenager to understand that there are tests in our training, beyond how high 
<laughs> can one devil a pay or how many pirouettes one can execute uh, if they're not made aware of it. Emotional strength is just as important a factor as technique in becoming a successful dancer. I felt for my friend Valeska while we talked out her training trauma over some tasty pork bow at a trendy LA eatery. And at the end of our conversation, she was shocked that she may have been ignored in school as a test to see if she could handle being ignored in a company. Or maybe she just didn't fit into the intricate puzzle of the school for just that year. Maybe there were too many tall dancers, and the director was only looking for short dancers. Years and years of resentment didn't disappear, but she seemed more at ease with what was a very disheartening and hurtful time of her life. Over the last decade, there has been a greater push to help preserve the bodies of dancers through proper maintenance, cross-training, uh, physical therapy, and better body awareness. Today, I would like to call upon the dance world to do the same thing with the dancer's mind. We need to start treating dancers with respect, openness, and honesty. There needs to be more support for teenagers who are working as high-level adults, often living on their own and dealing with an insane amount of pressure. Bringing awareness and structure to the emotional training that is necessary to have a successful career, career will be the next step in extending the life of a dancer. As always, I hope you enjoyed grabbing a cup of coffee and taking some time out of your busy schedule to sit down and talk dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and on your social media networks. Also, be sure to click the links below and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to subscribe to my blog, where I have been writing about working as a freelance artist for four years. And you can also subscribe to my YouTube channels below. Additionally, if there are any topics you'd like for me to chat about, you can reach out to me via my contact page on my website. Thanks again for listening, and remember, remember to go out and support your local dance scenes.